All right, we're going to read some scripture this morning. This is uh, Psalm 100, a very familiar psalm. Words are on the screen, and uh, you can follow along as I read uh, Psalm 100. Here's what the psalmist has to say. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness and come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his courts with thanksgiving. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Here's our key verse for this morning. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Let's uh, pray together and then we'll look into God's word. Lord, we're grateful this morning for another day that you have given to us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have as the body of Christ to gather together, to encourage one another, to praise you, and to hear from you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the word of God that we have, the road map not only to salvation, but a road map to life. And so we pray that as we look into your word this morning, that we will have listening ears open hearts, that our lives would be changed because we've worshipped you today. Lord, we thank you for all that you are doing and will do in our lives in these next few minutes, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you've been with us the last uh, couple of months, or at least through the summer, we've been looking at the book of Acts as uh, we study through uh, that book. But we're going to take a little break this morning and uh, look at uh, a topic that I think is appropriate for this morning, and it has to do with the goodness of God, the goodness of God. As we think about the goodness of God, the only reason that we were able to get out of bed this morning is because of God's grace and God's goodness. And so this morning, we want to think about four aspects of the goodness of God and uh, we're going to think about, first of all, the goodness of God's character. The goodness of God's character. Uh, remember in the book of Exodus, when Moses was coming before the Pharaoh, Moses asked a question about God. Well, who is this God that you worship? And I'm so thankful that the word of God reveals who God is. We have the written word and we have the living word to discover Jesus, to discover who God is. And all through scriptures, the Bible talks about The goodness of God. Now, when we think about the goodness of God, I want to start by reading uh, from Luke chapter 18. And here's an encounter that uh, Jesus had with a ruler who came to Jesus and asked this question, Good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question. How do I inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. When it comes to the goodness of God, what is the goodness of God? And here's one definition of the goodness of God. It's a couple paragraphs long. To say that God is good means that God always acts in accordance to what is right, true, and good. The fact that God is good means that he has no evil in him. That's First John God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. His intentions and motivations are always good. 
God always does what is right, and the outcome of his plan is always good. The goodness of God, as we think about the character of God, one of the attributes of God that defines who God is, is that the Bible proclaims over and over again, God is good. Let me just share a couple of those references from Scripture. Psalm 25, 8, good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 86, 5, you, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Psalm 106, verse 1, praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 145, verse 9, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. Uh, Over and over again through the Psalms and all through scriptures, the Bible says God is good. And so we think about the goodness of God's character. Now, if we're honest this morning, when we, when we say this phrase that God is good, and we may recognize that truth intellectually with our heads, but if we're honest this morning, there are times in our lives where all of us, or at least most of us, will question the goodness of God. It's easy to affirm that God is good when life is going well, but when life goes south, when our physical health deteriorates, or when we lose a loved one, or when we go through difficulties and challenges in our lives, it's not easy to affirm the goodness of God. Pastor and author Craig Greshel wrote a book entitled Hope in the Dark. Believing God is good when life is not. Here's what he has to say. Painful trials are fertile ground for the seeds of doubting God's goodness. So when we go through painful trials, when we go through life's difficulties, that's fertile ground to begin to say, I know intellectually God is good, but it doesn't feel so good right down here in our heart. Some of the most amazing verses in all of Scripture are found in the Old Testament. And uh, the life of Job in Job chapter 1, and we know Job's, Job's story in Job chapter 1, and Job lost everything. But what does Job affirm in the midst of his pain? It says, Job fell to the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away May the name of the Lord be praised. Even in the midst of Job's pain, he worshiped and he declared a faith choice. And it has to be a faith choice, not a feeling choice. He affirmed that God is good. We see that in the book of Habakkuk as well, that Old Testament prophet. And Habakkuk, in Habakkuk chapter 3, closes his book with these words. And remember, this is in an agrarian culture. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crops fail, and the fields produce no food because of a windstorm, (laughs) perhaps, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, here's his faith choice, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. So God is good. And that's part of his character. 
And it's easy to affirm when life is going well. But even in the pain and the trials of life, we can affirm the goodness of God. It's like the cloudy days when we don't see the sun. But we know what? The sun is still shining. And so that's the first thought. The goodness of God's character. Secondly, we're going to think about the goodness of God's creation. We'll be very quick with this one. The goodness of God's creation. You read Genesis chapter 1 and God's speaking the world into existence. And over and over again, Genesis 1.10, and God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.12, and God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.18, God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.24, God saw that it was good. And then God created Adam and Eve. And he says, God saw that it was what? Very good. Very good. Psalm 139 talks about um, God creating a person in the womb. And uh, it's a marvelous, marvelous text appropriate, appropriate for this morning on a day of baby dedication. For you created my inmost being. You, God, knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You saw, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The psalmist is praising God for the gift of life. And we stand on life and the sacredness of life from the womb to the tomb. Why? Because we're made in God's image and life is sacred. And when God saw that he created mankind, God said, it is very good. And so the goodness of God's creation. I hope we've learned to enjoy the goodness of God's creation. The beauty of a sunrise. The beauty of a sunset. The diverse animal kingdom. The beauty of flowers and the various types of food and God's gift of relationships and just the majesty of God's creation. God created that for us to enjoy. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon uh, writes these words in his search for meaning and purpose in life. He says, this is what I have observed to be good. This is what is good. It is appropriate for a person to eat and to drink, and to find satisfaction in their labor. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. And Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6.17, God has given us all things to enjoy. And so the goodness of God, the goodness of God is part of his character, The goodness of God in God's creation, and God wants us, what, to enjoy the gifts of his creation. James 1, 17, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. But there's a third point that we want to think about this morning, and this one might seem counterintuitive, but it's the goodness of the cross. The goodness of the cross. Why do they call it Good Friday? They call it Good Friday because the cross and the pain of the crucifixion of Jesus was not very good for him. He bore our sin and our pain, but it was good for us. 
probably the most familiar verses in all the Bible, John chapter 3, verses 16 and following. We know these verses by heart, but let me just read them to you this morning as a reminder. For God so loved the world, you and me, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Here it is. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And so in our world and culture of relativism, where many people believe there's many ways to heaven, the Bible says there's one way. It's Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so the word gospel means good news. 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, our sin put on Jesus, so that in him, when we put our faith in him, we might become what? The righteousness of God. That's a pretty good exchange. Our sinfulness for God's forgiveness and eternal life with him forever. And it's amazing when we look at scripture and discover that God's plan of salvation was planned out before the world began, Ephesians chapter 1. Before the world was even created, there was a, a meeting in the eternal council where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit what planned out our salvation. And God knew before he even created the world that he would offer his Son as a sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. And so we sing the hymn, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. And Paul prays for the Ephesian believers in Ephesians chapter 3 that the Ephesian believers might understand how deep and wide and great is God's love for them and for you and for me. And so we experience the goodness of God's character and recognize that God is good. We get to enjoy the goodness of God's creation And I trust that everybody here this morning has put their faith in Jesus and Jesus alone for their eternal salvation and experienced the goodness of the cross, our sin for the righteousness of Christ. But fourthly, uh, we want to think about the fourth aspect of God's goodness this morning, and it's the goodness of God's control. You could write the word sovereignty in there. The word sovereignty means God is king. And that means that God is in control. What is God in control of? You might, we might think, uh, if, if God's in control, what in the world's going on in our world? But the Bible says God is in control. And we need to recognize that not only for the universe and world, but for our individual lives. It was my world history teacher, and I know I've said this many times, but I still remember 11th grade world history. Miss Taylor writes on the board, history is, two words, his story. That all of human history is really 
God writing out the story of human history. We could read about it in the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation. The last chapter's already been written, and God wins. And so God, as much as it seems like sometimes that the world is spidering out of control, God is in control. He's in control of the nations. He's in control of human history. Here's what Jerry Bridges writes in his book, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. Confidence in the sovereignty or the control of God. Confidence in the sovereignty of God in all that affects us is crucial to our thinking and our trusting him, especially in adversity. He writes, if there is one single event in all the universe that can occur outside of God's sovereign control, then we cannot fully trust him. I love the saying, nothing can happen to me today. Nothing good, nothing bad, without first passing through the Father's hand. Again, that's the book of Job, and you, you read Job chapter 1 and chapter 2 and all those horrible things that happened to Job. Who allowed those to happen? God did. And Satan had to have God's permission to touch Job. And God put some parameters on that. As Martin Luther said, even the devil is God's devil. The goodness of God's control. So Margaret Clarkson writes these words about the control or sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is the one impregnable rock to which the suffering human heart must cling. The circumstances surrounding our lives are no accident. They may be the work of evil, but that evil is held firmly within the mighty hand of our sovereign God. All evil is subject to God, and evil cannot touch his children unless God permits it. God is the Lord of human history and of the personal history of every member of his redeemed family. She goes on to write, Nothing is so small or trivial as to escape the attention of God's sovereign control. Nothing is so great as to be beyond his power to control it. The insignificant sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his will. The mighty Roman Empire cannot crucify Jesus Christ unless that power is given to it by God. And what is true for the sparrow and what is true for Jesus is true for you and me. No detail of your life is too insignificant for your heavenly Father's attention. No circumstance is so big that he cannot control it. The goodness of God's control. And what's the great scriptural truth about the goodness of God's sovereignty is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, and you're familiar with those words and those verses that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans. Here it is, and we know, this is written to believers, and we know that in all things, God works for the good, the spiritual good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And what is God's purpose for us? It's found in the next verse, to conform us to the image of Jesus. The goodness of God's control. This is the book of Genesis and the story of Joseph's life. His brothers were out to get him. They hated him. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to do away with him. And God began to work in Joseph's life. And at the end of the book, he confronts his brothers and he said, You meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. 
And God brought Joseph up to an elevated place in Egypt, and um, God used Joseph's life to save many people, uh, if you know um, the rest of the story from Genesis chapter 50. This is the Apostle Paul in prison when he writes to the Philippian believers. In Philippians chapter 1, here's Paul. He's put in prison for preaching the gospel. And now what does he write? I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to what? Advance the gospel. Here I am. I'm, I'm unjustly in prison. But guess what? God's using my imprisonment to spread the gospel, not only to the Roman guard, but to other people who are now more bold to share their faith because of Paul's experience. And so four aspects of the goodness of God. The goodness of God's character. God is good. The goodness of God's creation. The goodness of the cross. And the goodness of God's control. Well, what should our response be this morning to the goodness of God? Just a few thoughts here and then we'll... We will conclude this morning. My response to the goodness of God. Here's the first one. The first one is this. Experience it. This is Psalm 34, verse 8. The psalmist writes, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. What's the psalmist invite us to do? I want you to experience God. I want you to experience for yourself what the, the goodness of God, the goodness of God in our salvation, the goodness of God in our sanctification. I want you to experience the goodness of God. And that means a faith choice. God has no grandchildren. Audrey is going to have to come to the recognition in her life that she is a sinner. Here she comes right on cue. She is a sinner? (laughs) Oh, she's going to remember this. She is separated from God? And the only way to heaven is for her to personally understand the gospel and put her faith in him. The same way that, that we enter into the kingdom of God. And that is our passionate prayer, isn't it? For our kids and grandkids. I want you to taste and see and experience the goodness of God. Matthew seven eleven says, If you who are fallen sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father want to do that? I want you to experience the goodness of God. But secondly, our response is to acknowledge it, to acknowledge it. And we've already read some of these verses in Psalm 106, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, what? For he is good. Psalm 107, 1, same verse, James 1, 17. Recognize where every good and perfect gift comes from where? From God. Israel had to be reminded of that before they went into the promised land and they were going to enjoy the, the fruits of the labor of other people and houses that they didn't build and all the fruit and the blessings of the promised land and God comes to Moses and he says, and uh, to Moses reminds them, don't let them forget the goodness of God and who it is that gives them the power to gain wealth and all of these blessings. And so we sing oftentimes the doxology, 
Sometimes we sing it so often we forget the meaning of the words. Praise God from whom what all blessings flow. Praise God and acknowledge his goodness. So my response to God's goodness is to experience it, to acknowledge it, but here's the last one, to look forward to it, to look forward to it. And that's Psalm 23, 6, our scripture reading this morning. How does the psalmist close that maybe most familiar psalm? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And here's where he closes. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we not only need to experience salvation, experience the goodness of God, and acknowledge that every good gift comes from him, but if you're a believer this morning, here's the good news. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come in experiencing what the goodness of God. What will eternity be like? Eternity will be enjoying every day of the rest of eternity what the goodness of God. As Revelation describes what heaven is like in the form of things that aren't there, think about a world where there is no sin, where there is no sorrow, where there is no sickness, there are no tears, there is no pain, there is no death, there is no need for the sun because the glory of God illuminates it. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we will get to enjoy the goodness of God for all of eternity because God is good. So I trust this morning you know him. I trust you've experienced the goodness of salvation. I trust you acknowledge that every gift in life comes from the hand of a good, good father. And if you know him as Savior, when we leave this world, we get to experience and enjoy the goodness of God forever and ever and ever. Why? Because God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, this morning, we come before you and acknowledge that you are a good God. And Lord, for some of us, if life is going well, that's easy to acknowledge. Or for others here that might be walking through pain, might be walking through difficulty and trials in their life, it takes a faith choice. Lord, we pray that we will make that faith choice like Job did, and make that faith choice like Habakkuk did. And recognize that even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of evil, we have a sovereign God who is in control of our lives. And Lord, we thank you that we can acknowledge your goodness even in trials and pain. And Lord, we pray and thank you that we can experience your goodness of salvation and sanctification. But someday we'll look forward to the goodness of God as we are in your very presence forever and ever, and enjoying your goodness. And so, Lord, we thank you for who you are. 
Thank you that you're a good God. Lord, may today we give you thanks for the good gifts in our life, for the gift of health, for the gift of family, for the gift of friends, for the gift of a church family. Uh, Lord, we thank you and realize that all these blessings come from you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.